0: Hello, Los Angeles arts community and beyond. This is the first installation of Artbreak by Independent Shakespeare Company. I'm your host of the podcast, Carolina Sique, also the marketing assistant here at ISC. Just last week in the ISC office, we were two weeks away from our opening of Macbeth, scheduled for March 21st. And how quickly things change in a week. With the growing numbers of the coronavirus outbreak, it became clear that stepping up cleaning routines wasn't going to be enough. To maintain connection during this challenging time, ISC is exploring new ways of providing content digitally. I've asked our founders, David Melville and Melissa Chalsma to give you a little bit more information about ISC and what our goals are for Art Breaks programming. Hi there, this is Melissa
1: Chalsma. I'm artistic director of Independent Shakespeare Company and I'm sitting with...
2: David Melville, Melissa's husband, defined by my wife. But I also sometimes work for Independent Shakespeare Company. And we're here today in these rather unique circumstances uh, to try and bring you some entertainment, uh, some intellectual edification as we're all bunkered down dealing with the coronavirus, doing the sensible thing which is staying home. Uh, As you probably know we've had to cancel our upcoming production and uh, move as much as we can online and keep a safe distance from everyone. Um, But We're in a sort of uh, unique situation because as theater producers, we rely on bringing the community together. And that is even something that would happen in a time of crisis. We'd we'd want to bring the community together. And the um, paradox here is that uh, we really have to keep the community apart but uh, Hmm. in a physical sense. But we're here to try and uh, keep everyone... Bridge that gap. Bridge that gap. Bridge
1: that gap. Bring everyone together, maybe in an emotional sense or an artistic sense.
2: Yeah. So we are sort of have an evolving podcast uh, idea, and we're going to be bringing you um, some interesting tidbits every week. Uh, I think we're going to do one next week that's going to be about uh, the plague during Shakespeare's time, which is interesting because you know they went through the same thing as a lot of uh, theatre companies have to deal with right now, and that's actually when Shakespeare wrote some of his great work, like the sonnets and Venus and Adonis and King Lear. Um,
1: and uh, then they, we're also going to hopefully after that do some deeper dives into some of Shakespeare's plays and hear from some ISC artists about their favorite plays and what they like about them and kind of think about plays in a sense in the context of a contemporary sense.
2: Yeah um but anyway so this is our, our little sort of uh, what do they call it here in, in Los Angeles it's A pilot it's our pilot.
1: This is our pilot <laughs> it's our pilot season.
2: So uh we were going to talk a little bit today about Infinite Shakespeare Company and how we got started. How do we get started, Melissa?
1: We were out of work actors.
2: I was out of work. You, were, <laughs> you were working a lot. I was working in a restaurant Aww. and for a private detective agency.
1: That's right. Yeah. That is right. And how to now? What was I'm trying to think? What what we have slightly different versions of how ISC started, but David's version is you were. What were you? You were watching. You were doing surveillance on a.
2: Yeah, I was. um, I was uh, working for a detective agency, and we had to do
1: surveillance of a store.
2: Yeah, we were on Canal Street. No, (laughs) we were. I was watching a doorway somewhere in Lower Manhattan, and um, to see what was coming and going from this door, and I had to uh, have a cover. Uh, you know wherever you go they gave you a little money to to, to buy stuff you're, you're, the first thing you had to do every day working for this detective agency because we were intelligence gatherers um, it was uh, really to, to
1: do, that sounds so grand you were so, intelligence gatherers
2: yeah so we had to uh, we had to go out on the street and there were people always looking for us so we had to wear all these different disguises so you had to take a bag with you with different disguises be wigs and mustaches and stuff like that <laughs> But if you were stuck in one location, as I was, you had to uh, be seen to be doing something. And uh, I think I'd chosen, for the purposes of this, uh, a copy of The Village Voice. And I sat there on a stoop in uh, Lower East Manhattan, um, reading The Village Voice from cover to cover, um, supposedly watching a doorway. But I got very engrossed in the the newspaper. And um, there was one story that really struck me, and it was about... um, this guy that ran a theater there called nada his name was aaron bell and he was always coming up with crazy ideas and this latest one was that he was going to present all of shakespeare's works in this tiny little lower east side theater i think the ceiling was nine feet high or something
1: it was a really small enclosed tiny little space
2: yeah um and he was looking for people to partner with to do it and i was sitting there you know daydreaming mm-hmm. not really doing my job very well they could have bringing been bringing you know kilos of cocaine and and, and machine guns out of that doorway oh and I my you know,
0: god
2: <laughs> but i came up with this plan in my head to do what, the, what was the craziest thing to do in this tiny space would be to do something really big and epic like henry v so i thought let's do henry v and uh, and and started knocking out had a, you
1: read henry v i'd been point. in a
2: production of it yeah
1: that's so interesting that you would it, because uh of course, Henry V is a play that's famously about imagining a space to be much grander than it is. So, what actually would be the perfect play to do in a tiny theater?
2: Yeah, and I'd been in a very grand production of it, oh. um, and uh, so I'd, I'd sort of forgotten that you know that that first speech is about using your imagination, mm. you know, piece out our, our imperfections with your mind. And uh, so I got a copy of it. And when I read that, I thought... Thoughts. Oh, oh yes.
1: Thoughts for anyone who's following along <laughs> in the collected works at home. We do know the word is thoughts. One of us is a Shakespeare <laughs> expert. <laughs> uh,
2: so uh, so we, we we read it and we're like, oh, well, this actually could really work if you did this super imaginative version of it with only, we, we thought maybe with five people and you could do it in someone's living room if you had to. And eventually we, we we ended up putting together a uh, a 10-person version of it, which we, we workshopped and then we did. Uh,
1: and our first performances were also on the Lower East Side, which uh, in a really amazing, interesting space called Present Company Theatorium, uh, run by John Clancy, who was this really cool theater artist um, who's now in St. Louis, actually. Yeah. And he... Um, He had this great idea that he wanted to not charge artists a ton of rent so that people didn't have that sort of price of admission to being able to be creative. Uh, But as a result, he had to basically run his theater 24 hours a day because he would just say, you know, we'll take, you know, X percent of the box office up into a certain amount. So if you only had five people in your audience, it was fine because he would only take $10 for that night or something like that. But because then he had to just basically keep people in his the theater all the time, in order to be able to pay his rent, uh, he had this plan where you know we you you would get these really odd hours to do your show. So our show was 10 p.m. on a Tuesday night, <laughs> and that right isn't that the date? Isn't that when we went, David? Mm-hmm. And yeah. so our our show was we did Henry the Fifth 10 p.m. on Tuesday nights in this uh Lower East Side Theater and we were after a production of Pigoletto and Pigoletto was the opera Rigoletto with a man in a pig suit playing the lead and so we would have to um, uh, wait for them to be finished with this very strange and wonderful opera and we would run in and, and change the set and hang up our curtain and uh, just do the show at 10 o'clock at night on a Tuesday, which, as anyone in the theater can tell you, is not exactly the prime, prime day of the week to do a show. Uh, but that's how we started. We were working in this little theater and um, basically being given the freedom to uh, try out some ideas. And we really started with the idea of what constraints would Shakespeare's theater have 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 had on his work and what would that let us know about how to produce these plays and we knew that you know obviously Shakespeare's theater didn't have a lot of light cues and they didn't have um, really um, they weren't really interested in verisimilitude. so the costumes were more emblematic and that th- there was a lot of you know dir- direct address to the audience and not a huge very elaborate set and that sort of thing so we really were working on those kind of um, constraints so our first show's in New York, had no lighting cues whatsoever. We only wore contemporary clothes with just an emblematic, um, you know, if you were playing a king, maybe you'd get a crown, that kind of thing. And that's really where we started thinking about how to use the language to prime the real source of theater's power, which is the audience's imagination. And um, that question has now taken us, you know, here we are, almost twenty-five years later, and that question has been the defining question of our lives artistically
2: it's not 25 years what
1: it is almost no it's
2: 1999 almost. that production 21
1: Twi- oh 21 <laughs> years oh david yes i'm sorry I should say that made you four years older i'm so sorry
2: john clancy uh ran the present company mm. uh, but it was his wife nancy who was part of that company too that the that, that founders the theater and she was the controller of the detective <gasps> agency
1: oh that's right Oh, that's right.
2: Yeah, that's how we, that's how we got because I, I was right. I was in the detective agency one day, and I said I'm looking to rent a theater, and I didn't even know that she was, you know, connected in that way, uh, or that's, that she was an actress. It, yeah, and, Gra- uh, a
1: very terrific actress. Yeah. actually, yeah.
2: So, when well, Melissa's attacking the microphone now, uh, sorry. <laughs> so
1: sorry, I've never done a podcast before.
2: So, yeah, we did that show, and the first performance we had four people or something
1: i mean it was five i do think uh, it was five
2: and uh but we we got the bug and we just felt like mm, we,
1: bad choice of words the
2: bug, we got the virus no the, the stop
1: virus. he's going to stop now i promise <laughs> all of you
2: our next episode will be nah. about the, the black <laughs> death Lord, um, David. Uh, so we uh, we we did another one we had, didn't have any plan, did we? We were just no. doing it because we were passionate about that, it.
1: That's shocking that we didn't have a plan.
2: And uh, <laughs> so we did three shows in that little theatre, didn't we? We did uh, uh, As You Like It, mm-hmm. uh, Henry V, and then Macbeth, mm-hmm. and toured Macbeth to Europe. We played. We were in France, and then we were at the King's Head Theatre in London for a bit, and uh, then we came back to New York, and it was well. We had to. Stay we thought we should maybe think about getting serious about this, but you know it really felt like it was an uphill struggle to to start another theater institution in New York, which really didn't need one um uh and I think at that point we found out we were gonna have a baby Aww. uh so we thought we should uh, maybe get serious and and I had a little bit of money from my inheritance after my mother had died, and we were looking at real estate and we couldn't we could have afforded uh, a parking space in New York, but not much else. And, uh, and that's when Melissa's sister moved to Los Angeles and said, hey, you should come out here.
1: She actually used to say that the streets were paved with gold. And then one day sent me a to do list that said, when you move to California, you know, one, get coffee, two, whatever, three, pick up gold from streets. And since I always do what my sister tells me. We moved to Los Angeles.
2: I know, and 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 I'd been working mostly, I mean, in the detective agency, but also in a restaurant, and that was making most of my money in this restaurant. And I thought, if I'm going to be a waiter for the rest of my life, I might as well do it where it's sunny. So, when we came over, I, I was just going to get a job in a restaurant. I wasn't thinking of coming to LA to be an actor or anything. Mm. We were sort of, you know, we were just trying to get serious with our lives. So, we were the sort of odd people that moved to Los Angeles to quit acting. Um, and uh, um, sadly we failed at that
1: utter we utterly failed at quitting (laughs) acting completely and in fact when it was very soon after our daughter was born that we started producing again and we had bought this really crazy house that was basically a you know, uh, had no insulation and vines were growing in through the windows. And, uh, But it did have this really big room that we thought, well, we can rehearse plays in there. <laughs> so we rehearsed a number That's of our first right. plays in L.A. right in our, what became our bedroom.
2: We were supposed yeah. to pick up the keys after we'd bought it on, do you remember? It was oh,
1: in yeah, that was horrible. nine
2: on, on September 11th, 2001 yeah. was the day we were supposed to move into the house. And, uh, mm. Our daughter was born on uh, October 18th, mm-hmm. um, and it was just this really terrible month. Yeah. I mean, obviously, everyone remembers what that was like if you were old enough, but uh, it does kind of have corollaries to how one feels now, you know, this yeah. crazy week we've had um where you just don't know where the world is heading and that's yeah. we moved into that house and we were decorating it we were listening to the radio and it was just crazy stuff happening in the world and you know pers- on a personal level wondering if we could ever afford this house we just moved into because mm. you know all the restaurants were you know there was nobody was coming to eat mm. and very similar in a way to right now um
1: it's a loss of predictability yeah, that it's just really hard now to think about what will tomorrow be like or, you know, I just think even a week ago, we had started making plans for well, what happens if we need to postpone or it just feels like so much has changed just in that week. And I'm sure all of you are feeling the same way.
2: But it's somewhat comforting to think that we did bounce back from that. And, mm-hmm. it, you know, it took time and, and, and it made us stronger. So, you know. Anyway, that's not really about Shakespeare, is it? But that's that's the first episode in our series of how did ISC start?
1: How did ISC start? <laughs> next <laughs> week,
2: we'll be talking about how we started the festival. Well, that's a that's a long podcast in itself, isn't it?
1: Yes, <laughs> that would be. <laughs> that would be. Uh, uh, well, I think next week, maybe we'll actually talk a little bit about... Um,
2: well, we're going to talk about the Black Death.
1: Oh, goodness. Now we'll be uplifting next <laughs> Well, it is actually interesting to think about how, because Shakespeare as a theater artist was also dealing with uh, this, a similar kind of thing when he was writing and producing plays and acting in plays and his theaters being closed down because of the plague. And so we'll be diving in a little bit to looking at how the plague actually impacted Shakespeare's writings um, and hopefully maybe bring you guys something that's interesting to all of you. And then after that, moving forward, I think we want to start looking at taking a play and, and looking at it a little more deeply and maybe a little bit, you know, off-kilter in a way because we, we don't need to produce it. We can just kind of consider some of the different um, issues that the play brings up and related to contemporary times and bring in some of our ISC artists and have them talk about stuff as well.
2: And I'll be bringing you some of the bizarre Shakespearean arcana that I like to collect.
1: He does like to collect it.
2: So we'll see you all next <laughs> week. So uh, stay safe, wash your hands. Um Keep socially distant, but not emotionally.
0: You can receive more information about ISC through iscla.org or follow us on Instagram and Twitter at IndyShakes, that's I-N-D-Y Shakes, as well as following Independent Shakespeare Company's page on Facebook. Don't forget to donate on ISCLA.org to help us raise money for our Griffith Park Free Shakespeare Festival this summer. Your donations, no matter how big or small, contribute to the future of ISC, especially all the Griffith Park Free Shakespeare Festivals to come. And if you are able, please consider donating a few dollars to other arts nonprofits and independent artists in need during these troubled times. Next episode, we will be reviewing plagues that occurred in the Shakespearean era and how it relates to the current outbreak. Stay tuned to our social media platforms for our scheduling of Brick content. Remember, be kind to one another, especially these days. And wash your hands for at least 20 seconds. Thanks for listening.